right. Appreciate Garrett. Appreciate it, band. Thanks for leading us in worship this morning. Uh, morning Mercy Fellowship. Hope you're well. If you don't know me, my name is Curtis. I serve here, I serve here at the church, elder in training. I'll be uh, preaching to you all this morning. Uh, a few things that I just want to highlight for you. This is an awesome Sunday for a few reasons. First is this. We're closing out our sermon series on the Upside Down Kingdom, so we're pretty excited about that. Number two is we've got a church barbecue after service. So once done with this, you can go across the street, some burgers and hot dogs and some drinks. It'll be a good time. Number three, Pastor Chris is coming back in a couple weeks, and he'll be taking the pulpit up and, and walking us through Daniel. And so there's a lot of just good things that are happening at this church. Uh, on top of that church, I wanted to ask you, did you enjoy this summer with summer with all the guests? Was that profitable? I'll tell you what, it's easy for me and my, my heart and my soul to get cynical to just the world and how things go. And what really stirs my affections is, is not only men that know how to, uh, it's not only believing in the gospel, but seeing men preach the gospel well. And so when I think of the guys that have been, been here and been covering it for Pastor Chris this summer, I'm thinking, man, we got a lot of great preachers in Washington. So that makes me really excited about the future here. If you've got a Bible... Matthew chapter 7 is where we're going to be wrapping up this, uh, our sermon series on the Upside Down Kingdom. It'll be on the screen if you don't have one. We'll go ahead and, and look. Lord Jesus is going to say to us. Verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. One who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will the will of the Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a, like a wise who built his house on the rocks. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not, not do them like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain fell, and the floods, floods came, the winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Jesus, at the end of this sermon right here, uh, that he's been going, uh, he's been speaking to his disciples, he gives them, gives them a final warning, a final look out, a final beware of such things. It's three warnings. He gives us the warning of the true and false prophet. He gives us the warning of the true and false disciple. And he gives us the warning of what a true and false foundation looks like that we build our lives off of. So let's look at the first one, the true and false prophet. What's, where does this idea of a false prophet come from? It comes from the Testament. And, and it comes from the idea, the role of a prophet in the Old Testament was that they would hear from God and then they communicate to God's people. That was the role of a prophet. We'll be spending a lot of time in God's word, in prayer, in the presence of God. And so when God would give them a word, they would communicate that to, God, to God's people. Okay? The, the words that they would give were words of future events. Hey, something's coming up. You should be aware of this. Something's going to be happening in the future. They would also give words of rebuke. 
hey, you are not living in accordance with what God has for you. You need a change. You need to repent. You need to stop what you're doing. doing. There will be consequences if you don't. And on top of that, they'd also give words of encouragement. Hey, although you've been taken captive by foreign nation, God has not forsaken you. God's going to be with you, and God will redeem you. This is the role of a prophet. And what would happen then is false prophets would come alongside the true, true prophet. They wouldn't communicate the good and the bad. They'd communicate only the good. They would go, they would go yeah, God's with you. Yeah, everything's great. Hey, if you just declare victory over what you want, you'll have it, right? And the result was this. They would get a mass following, right? They'd become popular. Their bank accounts, accounts would get, that's what would happen with the false prophets. So I want you to see this. It's in the Old Testament, Old Testament, Kings chapter 22. It's like a scene from Monty Python, so that's why I think it's pretty funny. But, he, but here's the setting for this section of the scripture, okay? Israel's been at war with Syria for three years. They're sick of it. They want to be done. done. So King Ahab, the king of Israel, who is just a horrible king, he invites King Hosaphat, king of Judah, a neighboring nation, to make a game plan for how we're going to beat Syria. Okay, that's what's happening. Look at it. It should be on the screen so you can follow along. Verse 5. And Jehoshaphat, said the king of the king of Israel, that's Ahab, inquire first for the word of the Lord. Okay? Okay? The battle. We're going to give up of our lives. Let's ask God. Maybe God doesn't want us to, to go to battle. Maybe God does want us to go to battle. Let's hear from God. Good rule of thumb if you're going to give up your life. Okay? Verse 6. And the king of, king of Israel gathers together about 400 men. These are yes men. These are false prophets that he is gathering together, okay? He gathers 400 men and said to them, Shall I go up to battle against Ramoth Gilead, or shall I refrain? And they said, Go up, for the Lord will give it into the hand of the king, right? Of course it's positive. Go up. You're going to win. You're going to be victorious. You go ahead and do what you want to do, King Ahab. Jehoshaphat, he replies in verse 7, Is there not here another prophet of the Lord of whom we may inquire? Like 400 guys all saying yes, there's not one of them saying no. Verse 9, no, no, verse 8. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, There is but one man by whom we may inquire the Lord, but I hate him, for he never prophesies good concerning me, but evil. That's hilarious, right? This guy's talking the truth of saying not only what's good, but what's bad. And he's like, I hate this guy. He's always talking evil, evil things again, okay? We jump ahead in the story, go from verse uh, 9 to verse 15. They're going to be into the presence of the kings. And when he had come to the king, the king said to him, Hezekiah, shall we go to Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall we refrain? And he answered, go up and triumph. You, you need to know this. Micaiah is a true prophet. He knows it's the future. He knows that Ahab's going to die. He's thinking, you should, you, should go to, you, should, you should go up and go fight. You're not only going to win, you're going to triumph. It's going to be so good for you. It's going to go real well for you. Go up and triumph, for the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. Verse 16. But he said to him, How many times shall I make you swear that you speak to me nothing but the, tr the truth of the Lord? In verse 17, there's a tone change. And he said, These have no master. No. And I saw all of Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, These have no master. Let each return turn to his home. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, did I not tell you that he would not prophesy good, good concerning me? The way the story plays out is Ahab believes the 400 false prophets. He doesn't believe the one true prophet. And the result of that is that he dies in battle. Right? He doesn't obey what God says. 
And so, so when we look at false prophet, when we look at what a true prophet is, a false prophet only proclaims the good, good, bad, and therefore never the truth. It's always just positive. It's always just good. It's always just encouragement. But it, it never is actually true. The true prophet speaks what God has just told them to speak. No more, no less, period. That's, that's the role of prophet. So how does this apply to us, church? Well, Jesus tells you and me there's going to be false prophets that arise amongst us. There's going to be false prophets that come into our churches, and they're going to be wolves in sheep's clothing. In this, they look the part. They look the part. They look like us. They like us. They act like us. But inwardly, they have a different agenda. They have a different agenda. Mercy Fellowship, this still happens in our day. It still happens in churches across not only our nation, but across the world. This still happens where there's wolves entering into the fold, the fold of God. So let's go ahead and name a couple of them, all right? I think this will be fun. If you get offended, Pastor Chris, you can write him an email. He would love to hear from you, I'm sure. First one is this, Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormon preachers. I'm putting them together. Jehovah's Witnesses, they talk about Jesus as a son of God, but not the son of God. So here's how it plays out. They have their own translation of the Bible. And so in John 1, 1, in our translation, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Right? We believe Jesus is God. That stems from church history all the way from the beginning. Jehovah's Witnesses, they say in their translation, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. Wonderful, right? What are they saying? He's not God. That's what they're saying. Same thing with Mormons. Mormons believe that Jesus is the firstborn child of the heavenly father and mother. Therefore, he has not always existed. Both of these groups don't believe Jesus is God. And as a result of not believing Jesus is God, God, there, Jesus cannot save. And what they have to do then is if their Jesus can't save, Jesus plus something saves you. It's Jesus plus, I'm going to be a part of their group. It's Jesus plus, my behavior saves me. It's Jesus plus, whatever it might be that they say you have to do, makes you right with God. God. I remember when I was youth pastoring for a short time, I had a kid who was just so convinced that Mormons were Christians, and we went back and forth, and his, his mom spent a lot of time convincing little Timmy that Mormons were Christians. And it's like, dude, I hate to, hate to tell you, we've already, we've already agreed on this 2,000 years ago. We're not changing it because it because your mom does. Jesus is God. Jesus can save. That's what we believe as Christians. Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormon preachers, they have the language, but they are false prophets. Let's go ahead and deal with another one. Prosperity and healing preachers, right? They say this, hey, if you, hey, if you follow Jesus, you're going to become happy, healthy, and wealthy. That's their mantra, right? It's really a shame, actually, because... The most time they get is airtime on Christian television, which really makes me question how Christian it really, really is, honestly. But this is what they do, right? They t- invite people into their church, and they say, hey, if you, hey, if you sow a seed, if you sow one dollar, you'll be like me. And you'll go ahead, and you'll have a big house, and you'll have private jets, and you'll have all the stuff, right? I think of Old Testament. I think about what it talks about with, about with falsehoods. It says that they lie in wait for widows and orphans to abuse them. A lot with those people. I came from a, a, a dad who passed when I was young, right? So I, I, my story is I had a mom. We were, we, we she, she was widowed, and you, there's the the reality of you're just you're just scraping by check by check by check just to make it. 
And, and, and if you don't know, know what you are right and you can discern these things, you're going to have some sort of prophet on TV who's telling you, hey, go ahead and sow a dollar and see what God does with it. Hey, what, what your little paycheck you have, sow that in faith and see what God does. I fear for men on the day of judgment, what, what we'll see before God. Day preachers and healing preachers, they're not capable of counseling or pastoring anyone who is in pain or suffering. They don't have a tolerance for pain and suffering. It's always good. It's always happy. It's always health, wealth, and prosperity. Next one, liberal preachers. Liberal preacher preachers, they'll say Jesus isn't the only way. There's other ways to God. They'll say hell isn't real. They'll say whatever makes you happy, God will bless. They fail in this way. They have not trusted in God or his word, and they have an allergic reaction to the word repent. Okay? Okay? This church, when God calls you and me to repent, it's out of love for us. I mean, for you parents, how many of you took the idea of parenting with your kids of, hey, they can do whatever they want. They're fine just the way they are. Whatever makes them happy, that's good for them. No, of course not. This tolerance... For us as Christians, it's not a bad word. We can tolerate people with whom we disagree with, absolutely. But, but it's not love, and we're people of love. Tolerance says you're fine just the way you are. Love, love says, man, you fall to something so much greater. Love calls you to a higher standard. And so we do that. And so these liberal preachers, they come along, and, and the words of Jesus, they're, they're kind of hard. They're kind of jaded. Jesus is the only way? I don't know about that. Hell's real? I don't know about Jesus saying that. What we want to emphasize is whatever makes you happy. Whatever makes you happy, there you go. go. That God will bless that. It's not true, church, because they deny not only God, but his word. All right, moving on. Last one, conservative preachers. This will be a fun one. I hope you're looking forward to it. They put all their hope in America, more specifically, and who it for becomes their savior. We really saw this mercy fellowship with Trump with, uh, a few years ago. We really saw this with Trump, right? These preachers and prophets, they often talk about the second coming of Trump more than they ever talk about the second coming of Christ. And the result is this, that they've misplaced their hope for the, for the future, right? What, what happens when their God wins the election? Oh, when their God wins the election, the future is so bright. It is so optimistic. It looks so great. And when your God loses his election, it's so bad. It is hell on earth. It is just going to be so bad, so, so miserable for the next few years. Look, we might not see this really blatantly here in the Pacific Northwest, but there is certainly fellow brothers and sisters in Christ that deal with this in other parts of the country. Like I, like I have that preach in Midwest areas in our state, and the pull for them, them, church, is, man, if I just from the pulpit declare how great Trump is, if I bow the knee to that, my church will double in size. And they know that because other churches are doing that, and their churches are doubling and tripling in size. I mean, guys, I mean, I don't know if you're familiar with a guy named Greg Locke. Like, he's not even the wolf, not even the wolf in Trump. He's just a wolf. He hasn't even put the suit on. You watch his sermon. The sermon is about Trump for 30 to 40 minutes. And then afterwards, they sing songs to Jesus? What? That's not a sermon. That's not a church. That's not a gospel. It doesn't save. It doesn't save. 
all of these church, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, prosperity and healing preachers, liberal and conservative prophets, what they all have in common is Jesus is not enough. Jesus is not enough. So we either, so we either need, to, need to pull away from Jesus because his words are too jagged, or we need to add stuff to Jesus because he's not enough to save you. He's not enough to heal you. He's not enough to sustain you. He's not enough to make you whole. So when, so when we're talking false prophets, they're no, how do we know them? How can we discern them? Well, Jesus, I mean, we can know them by their fruits. That's how. By the way they live, their conduct, how they behave. Let's be really clear on this, church. Jesus is not giving you and me a license to go heresy hunting. Me on that? Okay? Garrett's just going to be sitting at home and someone's hiding behind, hiding behind a book, say the wrong word. Like, ha, false preacher, right? False prophet. No. Right? After service, we're going to go over and have a barbecue. Let me enjoy my cheeseburger in peace. Don't be suspicious around me. That's what I'm asking, okay? Okay? Please. What it is saying is this. It's assuming that we're living in community together. Assuming that, hey, we're hanging out. We're having food. You see me. I see you. We are, we are sharing time together. And by my conduct, or whoever's up here, by their conduct, you'll be able to say, hey, I don't know if this lines up with what's true. I don't know if this lines up with the character of a true prophet. So here's some guidelines for a true prophet versus a false prophet. For the true prophet, do they imitate Jesus well? For the true prophet, do they call you to trust in Jesus? Do they manifest the fruits of the Spirit? Not perfectly, but just at all. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Are any of those in their life? For the false prophet, are they are they pulling pulling you away from Jesus? Do they try to add to the gospel because Jesus isn't enough? Are they openly active in sin with remorse? And are they abusive in their leadership? Jesus' words, not mine, not yours, but Jesus' words, these are wolves in sheep's clothing. And we're to stay away from them, from them. And you might say to me, okay, well, Curtis, how can I do this? How can I discern whether it's true or false prophet? Listen to me on this. If you're a follower of Jesus, we really believe that we have the Spirit of God dwelling inside of us. We believe that we have the Spirit of God dwelling inside of us. And Peter would say that this means that means that we have sufficient for all of life and godliness. And the result is this. You'll have a spirit of wisdom. You'll have a spirit of discernment. And as you sense that something's wrong, or you sense that something's off, use the benefit of the brothers and sisters in the church. Hey, I don't know. I don't know if this is asking you about this. What do you think? Ultimately, you're using the backdrop of Scripture to come together. Hey, what does God's word say? Do they line up with that at all? Or what it says about a true, a false prophet? So Jesus, what he does, he warns us at the end of this letter. He warns us, hey, watch out. For the, for the false prophet to come into the church. Be aware of them. He warns us of true and false prophet. And he moves on here to warn us about what true and false disciples look like. We already read it, but I think it would be worth our time to read it again. Verse 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we 
prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name. And then will I declare to them, I never, never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. The key distinction, church, I'm going to give you my cards right up front. The key distinction between a true and false disciple is not what they say, not what they profess, but is what they do. You get that? They say it's not what they profess, profess, but what they do. I know for us as Protestants, hearing the word that we've got to do something, we're almost allergic to it. I understand that. This is an idea in the Bible. This is an idea that all the apostles understood. James challenges us with saying, don't just be hearers of the word, but be of the word. Don't deceive yourselves, okay? There's a few verses I want to give you just so I can back up what I'm saying, okay? All the apostles thought this, just a few examples. Number one. The Apostle John, in 1 John 1, 6, he says this. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we say and we do not practice the truth. Okay, he's saying, hey, if you, if you pretend fellowship with Jesus and yet you're walking openly in sin, you're a liar. You're not, you're not practicing. You're not doing the life of a Christian. From James, I already quoted, quoted him, Jesus, your brother, but we'll give another quote to him. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if sisters, if someone has faith but he does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and the one of you says to them, hey, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the thing needed for the body, what good is that? Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is you know what makes me think of? Uh, years ago, I was watching Family Guy one, one night. This will probably be the only time Family Guy's ever quoted from the pulpit, okay? So don't get, don't get upset. But I was watching Family Guy one night, and it's a really funny scene in the episode. Peter, Gri- Peter Griffin, the character, he's walking along the street, and a homeless person's shaking a cup asking for change. And so he walks by, and he puts his hand in, and he keeps walking. And the homeless person looks in and sees nothing's in there. And so he yells, hey, you didn't put anything in my cup. And so Peter walks back and says, yes, I did. I put hope in that cup. I put hope in one place. Right? It's ridiculous. And it's the same thing with what James is saying here. If you see someone walk into our church who's poorly clothed, and you say, hey, I'm praying for you. I hope you find some clothes somewhere. What? Someone comes in and they're hungry, you say, hey, I'm going to pray that God provides food for food for you. Oh, run to the kitchen and get them something. It's stupid. Right? But we are called not just to be hearers of the word, but doers of it. We are called not just to love people in word, but in deed. In deed. I think the clearest picture of this church, of far, as, far, as far as faith in Jesus and the result of our faith in Jesus, comes from the Apostle Paul. Ephesians chapter 2, the verses 8 through 10, he says this. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not a doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Yes, and yes, and a. We cannot earn our salvation, we do not deserve our salvation, it is all of grace of us just believing in Jesus. Okay? We're all on the same team. Great. Verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should, that we should walk. Mercy fellowship, it's not just belief, but belief that manifests itself in our behavior. You understand that? There's an outworking of what we believe. And so I want you to think about it like this. If, if our salvation 
is entrusting in Jesus like the root, root of, okay, it's the base of a tree. Uh, our activity and how we behave is the fruit on the limbs of that tree. Does that make sense? I'm reading a book right now on culture and how Christians should engage in culture. And the, the definition of, of culture is hard to define. Everyone's got their own definition. But the definition this guy gave is he said, Cult- culture is being expressed. I love that, right? Because everyone's religious. You might come in here in church and you say, hey, I'm not religious. Yeah, you are. You have a certain set of beliefs. You believe something. And what you believe manifests itself in your life. And so when we're talking about culture, it's a set of beliefs that people have adhered to, and now it's working its way out in culture. So how does this apply to us, okay? Jesus is revealing to us that, that we can know or have some assurance if we are true disciples of his or not by our love for Jesus, to know him and to have him to know us, that's part one, and also by our activity in doing the will of the Father. Here's the narrow path that we walk on Mercy Fellowship. It is loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We're walking on this path, and also we are obeying Jesus. I'm Jesus. He says it in Luke 6. He says, why do you you call me but not do what I say? That's really straightforward. You don't need to open up a Greek concordance to find out what that means. Why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? So it is love mixed with obedience. But the ditches on both sides of this narrow path are this. If it's only obedience, if it's only, hey, I show up to church and yeah, I do the right things and I say the right, say the right things, tithe and whatever else it might be, but you don't love, that, that's, that's, that's not saving faith. That's not true. And those of you that are married here in this room, think about it in this sense, right? If you've been married for a few de- decades, find out after, after a few decades, hey, I never really loved you. I never really had, never really had a heart. Yeah, I, I never cheated, though. Yeah, I, I never did anything wrong. I did all the right things. Like, you would be devastated, wouldn't you? Consequently, on the other side, if it's just, just only love, love, and no or no action, like what? It's not love. I talk about how much I love, love the great God is, how wonderful God is, and you never show it. Is that really love then? We've been called, church, to not only to love God, to know him and him and to have us, but also to do the will of the Father. That's what Jesus said to us. And so listen to me, church. Jesus, in his kindness this morning, he's given you me a window into the last day. He's giving you and me a window into that last day for all of us. And for some of you in this room, this, this picture is your reality unless you change your life. When Jesus says, hey, I knew you, you're not going to clap back with saying, well, hey, I went to church, Jesus. I, I did the right thing. I, went, I took communion. I was baptized. I, I did all the right things. But, but he's going to look at you and say, I never knew you. I, I never knew you. Mercy Fellowship, this is a, a, a hard thing for us to take, isn't it? Weighty. It involves all of us looking at our hearts this morning and asking these tough questions. Hey, do I love Jesus? Do I, do I know Jesus? Do I care at all about Jesus as far as, as, far as opening the Bible to learn about who he is or to, to seek him in prayer to know him? You might ask, well, why would I do that, Curtis? Well, why, why, why not wouldn't you do this, right? Do you not recognize who Jesus is? Do you not recognize how much Jesus loves you? Jesus is your creator. Jesus is your sustainer in that he gives you breath in your lungs every day of which you don't deserve or have 
Jesus looking at your life, past, present, and future, and all the shame and the guilt and the sin that you've incurred over that lifetime, Jesus says, hey, I love you so much that I want to take all of that from you. I'm going I'm to take all of the cross, and it's going to die on the cross with me. And when I cry out, my God, my God, my God, you've forsaken me, because that's what sin does, it separates you from God. I'm going to cry that out so that you never have to. And if that weren't enough, Jesus on the third day rises from the grave so that you and me have to have hope of life in Jesus. I mean, fellowship, is that good news at all? Is that, is that good? And you might say, well, Curtis, I don't believe that. Okay, well, that's fine if you don't believe that, but you, the ball's in your, your court now. You have to tell me who's more loving than that. You have to tell me who's more caring than that, who's more worth praise than that, who's more understanding than that, who's more loving, loving we believe as followers of Jesus that he's altogether good and wonderful and lovely. We don't just obey him, uh, love him, church. We obey him. We don't just obey him. We adore him. We love him. Because of that, he's worthy of all of our lives. He's worthy of our, of our obedience to him. He is worthy of all glory and honor forever. Forever. So when you look at your life, what do you see? Right? I already used this analogy already, but if your salvation, your, your trusting in is the root of the tree, do you see any fruit on the limbs as you look at your life? At your life? Right? Is it all just proclaiming what you believe? Okay, so it's all root, but there's no fruit on the limbs? Is it a lot of church activities that you do, but there's no love for God? A bunch of fruit that stems from a, a rotten base of a tree? I'm not in church. There has to be a lot of fruit. I'm not saying there has to be a full tree, but I am saying there has to be some evidence that you live differently because of Jesus. There has to be something there that you can see that says, yeah, I, I follow Jesus proof of this. So we've been called not only to love God, but to, to obey as well. And Jesus, he warns you and me of the true and false prophets. He warns us of the true and false disciples. And finally, he warns us of true and false foundations. Jesus here is summing up all of the Sermon on the Mount. Every, everything we felt from tithing and prayer and worldly treasures, who is really them, anxiety, and a list of other things as well. Jesus is summing up all of that right here in a big conclusion. Matt already read it, I read it, and we're going to read it again because it's profitable for us. Verse 2. Jesus says, everyone, and who, everyone then who hears these words of mercy and fellowship and does them, the key word, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the, on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came. And the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. I don't know if you've ever seen a foundation being built built before. Uh, my time remodeling homes and doing construction, I saw a few foundations being built, got to be a part of them. And, and there's a lot of energy and engineering that goes into foundations. It, it's very serious work. And it's serious because it's holding the whole house, right? It needs to be. You want to know that your home is secure, right? Good foundation. And so if your foundation is not level, your home is level, right? If your foundation wall, when the concrete's all getting poured in, if it's not packed correctly and the walls aren't capped, 
you're going to have pockets where, where there's air and you're going to have concrete that didn't reach all the way. And the result, the result's going to, the foundation's going to crack and it's going to break eventually. In fact, when Ruth and I were looking at, were looking at the, home, the home that we're in now, um, we, uh, we were looking at homes that had post and pillar foundations. Some of you guys familiar with that? They're older homes and they were cheaper made. The post and foundations, and they're not solid like the new ones are. They have, they have to be solid. But, but some insurance companies wouldn't even cover us if we bought a foundation because of how bad it would be. And you find out why when you walk inside the house. You walk inside the house and everything seems fine at first, but then you start walking towards the exterior walls and the floor just slopes really, really hard. If you had a ball in that room, it just falls that side every time. That's post and, post and pillars, right? It's not built right. It wasn't done correctly. So Jesus, what's he doing with foundations? Well, he's giving you and me two foundations. One that's built on a rock versus one that's built on sand. And what's he saying? Well, the foundation that's built on the rock are those who hear, hear the word of this, right? Heard the Sermon on the Mount, heard what Jesus has called them to, and they're doing it. They're living it out. They're, they're, they're acting it out. They're actually trying to obey Jesus. Constantly, though, the foundations on the sand are those who hear the words of Jesus and don't, don't do it, right? These are people, perhaps, and maybe even some of you here, you hear the words of Jesus and you don't really believe them. You don't, you don't really think what he says is good or it's true, and you think there's probably a better way. And so the result is, I'm not going to build my, my, my life on Jesus. I'm going to build my life off of a different foundation foundation and you might say well, what's wrong with a sandy foundation right here's the problem it's not that if you just don't trust jesus you're not going to build a foundation we all build foundations we all build our lives off something and or someone the problem is this church is your foundation strong enough to build your life on is the foundation that you're building your life on strong enough to build your life Right, because people do this all the time. People build their lives off money. What happens when money dries up? People, they build their lives off looks. But what happens is when you begin to age? Botox, I don't think, is an answer. People build their lives off their career. But what happens when you lose your job? Or what happens when your career kind of just loses its shine? It doesn't satisfy like it once did. People, they build their lives off relationships. But what, happen, what happens when that betrays you? Or dies. Betrays not even that they cheated, just that they didn't live up to your expectations of them to be God in your life. Some people build their lives off fame and talent and health. Insert whatever you want, Mercy Fellowship. It's all sinking sand, meaning this it doesn't last. It's not strong. It's not permanent. You know what's interesting? What's really interesting is when I was studying for this week and I was looking at what the scholars and commentators had to say, they were talking about the, the topography of Israel. And they were saying, when you're building a foundation, you need to dig deep and hit some bedrock, and then you can build your foundation off and off of that. But what would happen in Israel is this. The ground, the sand, if you will, would give an appearance that it was solid. Right? It would be an illusion that it was actually solid, so people would build their homes on it. And then when a storm comes, that would really show the true colors, if it was a, a true foundation or not. Perhaps you're here this morning, and you would say to me, hey, Curtis, you understand. This guy, this, this gal I'm building my life off of, they're different. I can build my life off them. I can trust them for my life. 
They're not going to leave me at the train. Curtis, you don't understand. This job, Bob, this, this amount of money I have in the bank, it's different. It'll be fine. You know what that sounds like, though? That sounds like you're saying, hey, Curtis, you don't understand. This is really good sand. This is really good sand. I'm going to build my foundation off it. Hey, Curtis, you don't understand. I, I've collected a lot of sand, okay? I, I collect sand over my life, and I'm going to pack it well. I'm going to make sure it does its job. Hey, Curtis, you don't understand. I understand. That sand that other homes fell on, understandable. This sand, though, this is different sand. This is fun sand. This is nice sand. This sand I can build my life off of. What is all of it, Mercy Fellowship? It's not a foundation. That's what it is. It might all be good, God-given gifts for your life, and at the end of the day, it was never meant to carry the weight of your life. And it was never meant to be something that you build your life on. You've been, you've been created by God to build your life off Him. He's your creator. He's your sustainer. He knows you. I mean, I've been alive long enough to see this on both sides, and I'm sure some of you have as well. People who haven't trusted Jesus, and when their lives collapse, it is, in Jesus' words, a great, great fall. Where things will go bad and just go south. Perhaps that's some of you here. Some of you here, that's how you came to Jesus. For some of you, I'm sure it's probably the same thing as well with trusting in Jesus. Hey, you trusted in Jesus, built your life on him, and a storm came, and it really hurt. And it left some scars. But you were okay. I made it on the other side. You know, Ruth, Ruth and I were just because I usually try to talk to her about the sermon before the week ahead, and she was sharing with me a story of her uh, uh, family friends, and it was when we were dating, and I forgot about it, but there was a kid who was around my age and ended up dying hiking. He, he fell three feet, and it was really tragic, and his parents were a good Christian family. They loved him. They served in the church, not only hearers, but doers of the word, and all of his friends weren't Christians. And it was so interesting because, you know, six to eight months after he died, Ruth and I were getting married, and we invited uh, his, uh, his uh, and they were doing great. And they were smiling, and they were laughing. Now, hear me on, hear me on this. Our lives are forever changed. I'm sure they're heartbroken. I'm sure there's some scars that hurt. And one day in eternity, those scars will be removed. Praise be to God for that. But they were doing well. They made it on the other side. His friends... I'm not even joking. His friends were upset with his parents because of how they did His friends that weren't Christians were reeling still and just what had happened and how to cope with life and what happens with death and all these different questions. And his parents are, yeah, it's really hard, but we're okay. We're going to make it. That's the difference, church, between sandy foundations versus solid foundations. Now, now this. And I hope I've said it already, but allow me to say it again. I'm not saying that you build your life on Jesus nothing bad will happen, right? We're all clear on that? I'm not saying anything bad isn't, isn't going to happen, right? Jesus says storms are going to come not only upon foundations that are, foundations that are built on but foundations that are built on sand. It's not a matter of if, but when. Storms will, in fact, come. However, is your house going to stand or is it going to fall? That's what Jesus is asking. And so what about your foundation now, Okay. Let's talk about your foundation. What are you building, building your life on? If you're here in your teens and 20s, just kind of looking towards your future, you don't know Jesus yet, my encouragement to you would be this. Build your life off Jesus. Build your life off Jesus. Know him. Love him. Serve him. Get to know him. 
and from there, from there, then build walls of friendship, build walls of careers, build walls of side hustles, build walls of whatever it might be. But build your foundation on Christ. For those of you that are in your 30s and on up, my encouragement to you is this: check your foundation for cracks. Check your check your foundation. Make sure it's solid. Make sure that it's still depending and resting on Jesus. Because the old hymns, in old hymns church, you've got to look at it like this. They're like notes from saints from the past. They're so profitable, right? Because they've, they've struggled and you've struggled. And yet they've come out on the other side with some really great gems. But the hymn, the hymn in Christ the solid rock, he says this, on Christ the solid rock I stand and all other ground. What's that other ground, right? Relationships, fame, success, career, money, We'll go ahead and go ahead and conclude right here with these last two verses, church, and then we'll go ahead and pray. And when Jesus finished the sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and as the scribes. Uh, this is an interesting verse here. Jesus' authority is pinned against the authority of the scribes. And the scribes, it was said, that when they would teach, they'd always have to piggyback off, just off of someone else's authority. And it was interesting because Jesus didn't do that. He didn't piggyback off of anyone else's authority. He's not a prophet in the Old Testament that's saying, thus says the Lord. He is, he is Jesus God coming in and saying, truly, truly, I say to you. He's speaking on his own authority. He's speaking with the authority of God. And so this morning, Jesus, uh, the church, I want you to know this about, about Jesus. He's your creator. He knows you. Like he knows your knows your condition, knows your life. And because of that, he has the authority to speak into your life. Listen to him. Obey him. And let's be really clear. We are all on the same team when it comes to not following this well. Right? We all at one time, church and church, have false prophets who have led us astray and we've gobbled up their words. We are all guilty of that. We all at one time were false disciples who didn't follow Jesus, didn't know Jesus, didn't love Jesus. We've all been guilty of it, church, at one time or another, building our lives off something that wasn't lasting like Jesus. We've all built foundations on sand. And when those foundations crumble, and they will, Jesus will be there to show up. He'll pick you up. He'll dust you off. He'll redeem you. That's our God. He is redeeming us. He is making us new. And so some of you come in with, with weights, with walls you've built. Okay? You're not meant to carry that weight. Nothing that you worship or look at to carry that weight can carry that weight. Only Jesus can carry that weight. Look to him. Trust him. Love, love him. Obey him. Let's just bow as prayer. We're going to take communion. Uh, worshiping, and as we do, I want you to be reminded of the cost for that foundation to be made. That's Jesus' shed blood. That's Jesus' broken body so that you might be set free from building houses and houses on sand. If you're here today and follow Jesus and you have yet to be baptized, this is an opportunity just to be a hearer but a doer of the word. Get baptized. Follow Jesus. Be obedient to what he has called you and I to do. Let's pray this morning, church.